I've spoken a lot about missions and missionaries, but my latest thing is being intentional Christians. What does that mean? Pope Francis has said that we are to be missionary disciples. He means that we need to be aware of our universal call to mission. We are all called to make disciples of all nations. And that's not just the job of priests, deacons, and those in religious life. That means we need to be intentional in how we live our Christian life. It doesn't mean you have to be preaching constantly to your family or friends, or that you have to go stand at the street corner and hand out pamphlets. But are you constantly thinking what it means to be a Christian and that we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all? I always get stumped when looking for suggestions on ideas of what we can do. And this week, I heard a really good one. This one came from a, the coordinator and coach of a kid's softball team. He said that he would coordinate and host tournaments and he would prepare packages for all the teams coming from out of town. He would give them suggestions for restaurants, show them where the nearest hospital was, where the banks were, everything to make their stay easier. But never did he ever make a list of local churches. And he never ever scheduled games to allow people to go to church on Sunday morning. Why not? He wasn't being an intentional Christian. He just told me that if he had the chance to do it all again, he would do it differently. It's a simple thing. It doesn't involve a pastoral plan or a plan of evangelization or even that you know your faith very well. But it would make a difference. We live in a society of soccer, hockey, basketball, baseball tournaments on weekends. And this suggestion will go a long way. So how about you send me some of your suggestions on things that we can do as intentional Christians. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. Today's show is co-sponsored by Novalis Publishing, Canada's premier religious publisher, serving God's people since 1936. And we're going to be learning more about Novalis later on in the program. Today, Alicia is away, and so Stefan will be here with our weekly news, and Andrew with the Saint of the Week. In about 15 minutes, Mark Matthews, our Hollywood undercover missionary, will be here to tell us why non-Christians make better Christian films than Christians. That's all coming up shortly. In our second half hour, we'll be speaking with Father James Mallon about how we can move from a maintenance to a missional parish. That's in about half an hour. And after that, we get to meet someone who's been doing Catholic music for a long time. Her name is Simonetta, and she just ran a successful Kickstarter campaign to make an album with her four daughters. So, let's begin with a song by Simonetta. This past October 22nd was the first feast day of St. John Paul II. So, here's Simonetta's song for John Paul II, Oh Papa, from her album Faith on My Sleeve. aching Oh Papa You left us still wanting you You touched our hearts of the young and the old and the powerful leaders who 
open their doors to you. You got the spirit of humbleness. Tore down the curtain of communists. Moving forward, spreading truth. Peace. Oh, Papa, my heart is a. Still wanting you. You touched our hearts with your prayer and your suffering, and brought us the use of the rosary and Eucharist. You kept us spirit of prayerfulness. Still wanting you, oh Papa. You said be not afraid, oh Papa. How can we carry your legacy? You touch the hearts of the meek and the bold, and the culture of life who protects the worth of men. You. Still wanting you, oh Papa. So be it, Amen. Oh Papa, so be it, Amen. That was Simonetta with Oh Papa from her album Faith on My Sleeve, and we're going to be speaking with Simonetta in our second half hour. But now, here's Stefan with our news beatification. Give yes. Us this- Give us the details. Somebody was beatified on yes, Sunday. We had a big beatification uh, this past one. Sunday in St. Peter's Square. Uh, Pope Paul VI yes. uh, was beatified by Pope Francis. Uh-huh. We had the two uh, canonizations earlier this year, John the Twenty Third and John Paul II. But now we have the middle one, exactly <laughs> <laughs> in between, in between. So yes, uh, yes, he was he was beatified at a large mass in St. Peter's Square. Uh, priests, bishops, pilgrims, cardinals from around the world were in attendance. And it was also a mass that saw the closing of the Extraordinary Synod on the Family, which mm-hmm. took place over the last two weeks. Okay, so, and we we were following the Synod throughout, but so it's over now. What are sort of the, the conclu- I guess there's no conclusion. Is there a conclusion? Uh, there, there is to a degree. Uh, we have a, a final document, a relatio, uh, that's come out outlining... Uh, exactly what was discussed, what themes were brought up. We also saw a letter that uh, was called The Message of the People of God uh, that came out in 
in, in the end of that uh, in the end of that uh, two week period. The relatio will act as the document that will guide the synod next year, right? Which is the ordinary synod yes. uh, on the family, which will be right. So in 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 September in October next October year, of next um, year, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the World Meeting of Families that's in September. So just so that people, so so this is kind of like the pre synod, the preparatory synod to to. To, to, to get the preparatory document ready through the year that's going to be the working document for the synod next year. Precisely. And this gives okay. the, the synod fathers and all those who are going to be a part of the synod next year a year to really reflect, look at the document, understand what themes are out there. Mm-hmm. And we've even heard from Cardinal Whirl already uh, from Washington, D.C., yes. that a big theme next year is going to be on traditional families and uh, everything comes under that canopy. Now, we've heard in secular secular news saying that it's it, that it, there's, it's a proposal, but it's not. The relatio is not a proposal. No, it's not a proposal. It's a working document that'll allow... Or a uh, summary document? Uh, perhaps a summary document's a okay. little more accurate. Yeah, that'll yeah, allow, it, that'll allow uh, the Senate Fathers next year to have a framework within which to conduct their meetings. So these are the things that we talked about now. Here's the summary, and, and then throughout the year, they'll, they'll be tweaking it as for the working document. Precisely. Okay, good. And the Holy Father does not rest. He does not. Rest. Where is he going next? We uh, we can finally confirm rumors that were about uh, that the Holy Father even suggested himself on a plane uh, recently. <laughs> yes, that uh, he will in fact be traveling to Turkey next month. Okay, from so it's the, confirmed. Yes, from the twenty eighth to the thirtieth, he'll spend three days in Turkey, uh, following an almost identical itinerary that, to Benedict the sixteenth, who traveled there in two thousand and six. Okay, so the the the, the itinerary is set. All that is public now. Yes, we have that. We know that he'll go to Ankara, meet with government officials, which is the capital of Turkey. Mm -hmm. Then he'll go to Istanbul. uh, And his main reason for being in Istanbul is it is the Feast of St. Andrew during his visit there, who is a major figure in the Orthodox Church. Right. So in addition to visiting uh, important sites throughout the city, uh, he will be involved with uh, ecumenical prayer services. He will actually attend a divine liturgy uh, Mm -hmm. that celebrates... Uh, the Feast of St. Andrew, much like Benedict did mm-hmm. uh, during his visit. And, of course, there'll be meetings with Patriarch Bartholomew, who will be helping to preside there in okay. uh, Istanbul. Good. So that's in about a month, November 28th to the 30th. And as always, we always follow the Pope wherever he goes, so all that coverage. You can, uh, uh, well, you have summaries here on, on the Salt and Light Hour, but on Salt and Light TV, saltandlighttv.org, on our blog, and on your show perspectives, Stefan, we'll have updates of uh, the Pope's uh, travels. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much. You can watch Stefan Slovak, who's uh, sitting in today for Alicia. You can watch him Monday to Thursday on our daily update perspectives on Salt and Light TV and online at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, I'm Susan Hukong Taylor, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1, and our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Deacon Pedro, how are you again? I am good. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Good, thank you. So, I can't believe it's like practically it's the end November. of October. It's November. I know. I know. Well, where's time going? I don't know. It's yeah. We're all Christmas and all the stores. Christmas stuff already. Wow, unbelievable. So we have an October or a November saint. 
Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, today, I think we're going to look at um, we're going to look at a particular saint whose feast day kind of falls around this time. Okay. And you know, here I am. I, we had the chance kind of a few months ago to look at like married saints in the church. Yes. Um, but you know, I've also been pushing myself this year to kind of find you know. We know all the common saints. We know the Saint Therese of Lisieux, the Saint John of the Cross, mm-hmm. Saint Francis. Like those are very common saints. But yeah. I'm trying to push myself to really, really dig deep and find people that I just don't know about. Yeah. I know they're out there. God yes. has sent us many, many people in the church um, to lead us by example. But you know, here I am looking at a saint that I've never heard about and whom I'm really interested in. So this is a so, new saint. New saint, saint for John Andrew. Saint John of Capistrano. John, you heard Capist- of him? John Capistrano. Yes, I have heard the name. I do not know much about him. Okay, here we go. Uh, John was born in Capistrano, Italy, in 1385, um, and Capistrano is in the southern part of Italy. Um, it's you know very close to. Um, it's even south of Calabria, so it, you're basically getting close to Palermo in the south. Mm-hmm. So it's it's basically right on the uh, on the coast of the Tyrrhenian Sea. Mm-hmm. So he was born in 1385. Uh, he was the son of a former German knight in that city. We know that he studied law at the University of Perugia, and practiced as a lawyer in the courts of Naples. Naples being just south of Rome. Yeah. Um, King Ladislaus of Naples appointed him governor of Perugia at that time, and during a war with a neighboring town, we know that he was betrayed and imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Upon his release, he uh, entered the Franciscan community at Perugia in 1416, and him and St. James of the March, St. James, who I know, yeah. were fellow students under St. Bernardine of Siena, okay. who really inspired him to institute the devotion to the holy name of Jesus and his mother. Very interesting, because we have two back-to-back saints this week, uh, Deacon Pedro. Last week we heard um, about St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, yes. who you know instituted you know the um, Feast of the Sacred, Sacred Heart. Heart. Yeah. And now we have, you know, St. John of Capistrano, you know, um, who was inspired yeah. to do the devotion to the holy name of Jesus and his mother. Yes. So uh, John began his brilliant preaching apostolate with a deacon in 1420. Yeah. And after his ordination, he traveled throughout Italy, uh, all throughout Europe, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Poland, and Russia. And he preached uh, a lot of penance, and he established a whole number of communities of Franciscan renewal. Mm-hmm. So um, when Mohammed II was threatening Vienna and Rome, we know that St. John, he was 70 years old at the time, was commissioned by Pope Callistus III, and he preached and he led a crusade against the invading Turks. Uh That was the time that John of Capistrano lived in. And marching at the head of 70,000 Christians, um, he won victory uh, in the Battle of Belgrade against the Turks in the year 1456. Okay. And he died about three months later in Hungary. So in the Universal Church, we remember him Thursday, October the 23rd. And interestingly enough, he's the patron saint of jurists. Okay. Yeah, so anyone working in the legal field, mm-hmm. uh, if you find yourself uh, as a juror, you know, St. John of Capistrano, you know, is someone to pray to, someone to keep in mind. Very good. That's good to know. So John Capistrano, feast day, October 23rd, and devotion to Holy Name of Jesus and his mother. I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who have that devotion. So St. John Capistrano. Thank you, Andrew. I was actually thinking of you when I was reading, um, when I was reading and studying up on his life, because, you know, uh, we know that, you know, he was a brilliant preacher. Oh, and, thank you. Know, you know, he began his preaching with a deacon. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, Deacon Pedro. Pe- deacon Pedro is a great preacher. Oh, if people thank had you. the chance to listen to him. You well, know? there so you go. He Come. Was the first person that came to mind. <laughs> You're making me blush. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great week. You too. 
Andrew Santos is the youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario, and he's also our saint expert. Hey there, this is Tony Melendez. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. God bless you. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour every week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, on Holy Family Radio, on the Lamb Catholic Radio, uh, on the Baraga Radio Network, and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for... What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover, Mark Matthews... Hello, Pedro. How are you doing? I am very good, my friend. So you have a crazy claim here that heathens make the best movies. I Actually, I would take it even a step further. I would say heathens make the best Christian film. Oh, jeez. Okay. I, yes. A uh, bit of an inflammatory title. Um, this is actually a chapter that I'm completely stealing from a book behind the screen. Um, this chapter is written by Dr. Tom Parham, and he's a professor at Azusa Pacific University. And he's a very successful screenwriter. Yeah. And this, I would say, is very much uh, the fact. And we can see this um, through films. So I'll give you some examples here. Uh, some non-Christians that have made some uh, very successful films with Christian themes. Some examples are uh, The Chariots of Fire, mm-hmm. The Mission, The Apostle, Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And I might add a few here, too, that are, are not that necessarily family-friendly, Children of Men, Juno, mm-hmm. or Knocked Up, mm-hmm. uh, knocked up especially not family-friendly. <laughs> no. Whereas Christians, we've made films like Left Behind the Movie, Left Behind Tribulation Force, uh, To End All Wars, or Praise, which you've probably never heard of, mm-hmm. uh, There Be Dragons, which we spent lots of money on, um, and maybe a few exceptions like The Passion of the Christ, um, or even, say, more recently, Mom's Night Out. Right. So I would say hopefully things are changing a little bit, but historically it's been the case that we've done a very poor job, and actually non-Christians have done a much better job. So why are, so, non- why are non-Christians making better Christian movies? It, it's a very good question. So what Dr. Tom Parham would say is he would have a few major points. First, he would say non-Christians are directing their films at the mainstream market. They know that they must appeal to everyone if they want to basically make these films because we have to make money off of them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Christians, we tend to be marketing them to the Christian market. Um, and But the truth is, and the market says, is that, you know what, Christians, we're just going to see the same films as everyone else. There's mm-hmm. not kind of distribution networks like there are for Christian music or Christian books. Right. So what happens is that Christians kind of forget this, and storytelling and production values end up, you know, kind of being left behind, and then they just end up sort of preaching a message and it ends up, the movie ends up seeming like, you know, a, a homily or altar call. Or mm-hmm. So the second point that he says is basically is um, we don't really know how to use cinema properly. Uh, a basic axiom of screenwriting is show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And so you'll hear this everywhere in the film world. Um, and we have to realize that film excels at things like symbolism and metaphor but it's not necessarily the best at sending a message, um, but we're not realizing that. Right. So, you know, Christ, even in his parables, he 
say, the kingdom of God is like, you know, whereas in a lot of these films, we're just saying the kingdom of God is this, you know, and, uh, you know, and if, if we're not sort of open to that, you know, no matter how sincere our films are, they're going to appear false mm-hmm. and, and almost manipulative. Another reason that he gives is that uh, non-Christians tend to be better observers of life. They're more mm-hmm. honest and objective. They're willing to show the way it is, warts and all. Um, whereas us Christians, we would like to portray things the way we would like things to be. Right. Um, and a good example of a film is The Apostle. It's a little bit older, from 1998. Um, <laughs> but it's about uh, a Protestant preacher who basically murders someone. Um, you know, and it's a very harsh look at his life, but it shows all the good and the bad that kind of comes through it. So, so and, you know, you, the other point is sin, that... Christians tend to be afraid that merely by depicting sin, it's going to be an endorsement of sin, but this isn't the case. Um, so, you know, whereas uh, non-Christian screenwriters, they're, they're fine with showing sin in the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you have to remember, Scripture talks about a lot of sin, too. You know, we've got the story of King David. So, so those are the major reasons for why he, he thinks that Christians are failing at making effective Christian films. And non-Christians are excelling at it. Makes, makes, make, makes perfect sense, and this is, it's a theme, because been, we've been coming back to this uh, over and over and over again. Now, I know that there are some uh, Catholics, maybe not quite practicing, who've made some good films, and, and I want to get back to that maybe next time we can talk about sure. some great films made by, by Catholics. Um, Mark Matthews, you've, you've heard him with his, with his, his stolen theory, now maybe it's time for you to tell us what you think. Do non-Christians make better Christian movies? Uh, send me a tweet at Deacon Pedro GM or send me an email, Pedro at saltandlighttv.org. Mark Matthews is our Hollywood undercover missionary. We spoke to him from his home in L.A. Hey, I'm Tori Harris, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Today's show is co-sponsored by Novalis Publishing, which is Canada's premier religious publisher, serving God's people since 1936. And to share with us about three exciting new releases by Novalis, I'm now joined by Don Byers, who is the Relationship Manager and Acquisitions Editor for Novalis Publishing. Don, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Pedro. So I have a question for you, Don. Do monkeys go to heaven? Well, we would hope so, I guess. According <laughs> to Father John McCarthy, at least, uh, his playful title, at least, helps us to see that there isn't very much distinction between what is the natural, the science, and our faith as well. Uh, Father John offers to us a real playful look at the various aspects of science and faith, and really invites us to consider how God is at work within nature whether it be within uh, forest, within um, beauty, within the, the very instances in human life, such as birth and the suffering that comes about in birth. Uh, he, he gives a real playful take and look at it, and, and I won't quite answer yet whether or not what he says about monkeys going to heaven, but I'm certainly hopeful that maybe that may be the case. 
Yes, it's a, it's so that's, that's the title of the book is Do Monkeys Go to Heaven? Finding God in All Creation by Jesuit Father John McCarthy. Now, you also have a book that can help prepare people, I guess all of us who get busy with life, to help Indeed. us maintain a connection with God in the midst of that busyness. Indeed. And that is The Unfolding Journey to God Within by Eddie, with Eddie Hillison and Mr. Harkert, mm-hmm. written by a Dominican cloister nun, Sister John Marie Dwyer from British Columbia, a really wonderful woman who has written other books for us and just really captures our attention. Uh, she speaks very engagingly and really to the depths of our spiritual life and our soul. What she does with this book is she uses the work of Eddie Hillison, a young Jewish woman who sadly was killed in Auschwitz, and the great uh, Christian mystic Meister Eckhart mm-hmm. to help guide us along the stages of the spiritual life, from its very beginnings to being attentive to God's Holy Spirit, all the way up to perhaps more deeper and intimate levels with God. Uh, Sister Dwyer, she's absolutely fantastic and really engages, and even though she can never leave the conference, I would say her words speak profoundly to all of us who may be far and near to her as well. Yeah, it's great because uh, I, I think I was telling you earlier that I, I think I've met her, that I've been to that her Dominican, to her home in, in British Columbia. And, and you think that contemplatives are, are, are separated from life. I mean, they are, but she's so in tune with the life of, of uh, any normal lay person. So it's a, a great book. So it's The Unfolding Journey, The God Within, Eddie Hill- Hillensum and Meister Eichard by Sister Jean-Marie Dwyer. And All lastly, right. Don, you also have the second volume in your Faith and Society series. This one is about the interplay between faith and the great works of literature. Absolutely. And this is a work where we are able to feature some of uh, Canada and even uh, U.S. authors at their very best. Uh, and some people know and may be familiar with such authors as Flannery O'Connor, C.S. Lewis, Walker Percy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we often hear and see our faith engaged in the great works of literature. And Michael Higgins, who actually was an English teacher, our series editor, mm-hmm. brings together some really remarkable uh, authors, such as David Adams Richards, who is a Governor General Prize winner, mm-hmm. to speak on everything from uh, faith, uh, or faith in literature, particularly in some great works of poetry, novels, um, and really trying to take a look at how does literature help us to see God active in the midst of human glory, folly, bravery, and even in our sainthood, perhaps? Uh, a really delightful work, and if anybody ever has a chance to listen to Michael uh, Higgins, the editor, uh, we really get to see his expertise coming through as he brings together some of the best of American and Canadian authors to show us and illustrate this point as well. Right. So especially interesting for all those literature buffs. Um, oh, by far. By yes. Far. Now, you're making it really easy for our listeners to not just purchase these three books, but uh, all your books. So you want to tell us about the promotion you're offering? Absolutely, because we really appreciate everything that Salt and Light does and all the wonderful listeners of Salt and Light Radio. We'd like to offer your listeners an opportunity to visit us online at www.novalis.ca and to purchase any book that they like 
and before checking out to apply promotion code SL2014 to receive 20% off all of their order. Uh, they can do so before December 31st and take advantage of this great opportunity. Okay, that's a great, great offer. So between now and the end of the year, December 31st, time for your Christmas shopping, you can go to novales.ca and use the promo code SL2014, so SL2014, to receive 20% off all orders. Don, thank you for sharing a little bit of what you guys are doing with us today, and hopefully we'll have you back on the program soon. Thank you, Pedro. I look forward to it. Don Byers is the Relationship Manager and Acquisitions Editor for Novalis Publishing. You can learn more about what they do and, and purchase their books at their website, novalis.ca. Coming up in our second half hour, going from a maintenance to a missional parish, and we meet singer-songwriter Simonetta, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, some of us know all too well the parish that looks more like a community center hosting bingo and AA meetings and card socials. Do you think that this is the role of the parish? Do you think that as Catholics it's enough to just go hear Mass for an hour a week? Is the job of evangelizing just for priests, deacons, and those in religious life? Well, Father James Mallon disagrees. In his new book, Divine Renovation, he shows us how we've lost our identity. And that's what he'd like to tell us today. Father James, so good to have you back on the, in the program. It's great to be with you, even across the mile. Across the mile. Last time I spoke to you, you were walking the streets of London, England. Today you're driving from somewhere in New Brunswick back to Halifax in the from, rain. That's correct, yeah. Y- you're just we are, we're currently uh, almost at Sackville, New Brunswick. In fact, if we time this uh, interview correctly, uh, we may end uh, as we glor- gloriously cross over the, 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 uh, the provincial boundary. Into Nova Scotia. Beautiful. So, <laughs> so James, I'm, I'm, I'm loving your book, Divine Renovation from a Maintenance oh, to a Missional you. Parish. It, it is so, I mean, it's, it's what Pope Francis is saying. It's, it's what we're hearing. We've been hearing it all year, and you've, you've put it in, in a language that at least simple-minded people like me can understand. Your basic yeah. thing, you start off the top of the book saying that we've lost our way. We've lost our identity of Catholics. What do you mean? Well, I think, you know, that the premise of the book really is that the key the key crisis of our churches is an identity crisis. But if you think of the, the ministry of Jesus, before he uh, did anything in the major events of his life, it began with an assertion of, of his identity, both at the, at the baptism and during the transfiguration. So identity becomes before action. Identity will define your action. And I believe that a lot of our inaction around being a missional church has to do with that identity crisis. 
And I would sum that up basically by saying this, that we often think of mission as something that a church possibly might eventually be able to get around to doing something about, mm-hmm. as opposed to the fact that we are essentially missional. It is our nature. In fact, when we say in the Creed the church is, is apostolic, that's mm-hmm. the original meaning of it, is that we are a missional church. And Pope Francis has said the same. You know, he said in his pre-conclave speech, in, in his notes, he said that the Church must go out, and he said it repeatedly and repeatedly again and again, rather than being a self-referential Church, because the self-referential Church is a sick Church. Yeah, you said uh, you said also something in the book that I'd never thought. I mean, I've, uh, in Spanish, the word that we use for ministry is apostolate, um, but those yeah. in English, those two those words are, are two very different things. Is that what you're talking? So apostolate is sort of going out, but ministry is sort of well, maintenance. Yeah, it's, it's, I think an indicator of of the change and how we we lost some of the key insights of the Second Vatican Council, and I think the, the debate around the Council in the, the last 50 years really was around issues of church governance and, and liturgical squabbles, mm-hmm. whereas the real insight of, of the Council really was the regaining uh, a, a proper understanding of, of the universal uh, call to mission and holiness, or, or, or the priesthood of the baptized. And if you look at the decree in the laity, all the language in Vatican II speak of the lay apostolate, an apostle, the word apostolate uh, comes from um, the word apostolane in Greek, which means to send out, to send out. So it means the lay missionary. Uh, and so uh, that term was used in the conciliar document, but in most of our church uh, day-to-day life, we never talk about apostles. We talk about lay ministry. Mm-hmm. And when we, most of the lay ministry that happens in our parish is inwards-focused ministry, Think about it. For many years, the summit of the baptismal calling for Catholics was to be a lecturer at Mass or give out communion. Yeah. And, and while those are noble and necessary ministries, they do not, uh, some, <laughs> it's not the summation of the baptismal calling. The nature of the baptismal calling is to turn around and go out, not right. to be turned inward. And I think that's the significant indicator of, the, of the, the loss of identity in our Church, the way that the term lay apostolate disappeared. Yeah. Now, when you were vocations director, you, you tell a story about a meeting with a young man who would say, hey, I feel like I'm called to the priesthood, and you'd ask him, like you should, why do you feel that way? And they would say, well, because I want to deepen my faith, I want to learn more about theology and about the catechism, and I feel like I want to serve and let people know about Jesus Christ. And basically your answer to them was, well, that's, that's, that's not the job of the priest. You're just feeling a regular, a normal call, the tug to what's in your heart, the b- baptismal call to the universal call to mission. That's right, and I think that that story is in the segment where I talk about about clericalism. Yes. And I define clericalism as the appropriation by the clergy of what is proper to the baptized. So basically, for a long time in our Church, uh, what was normative of of baptism was basically that that intensity of Christian living, if anyone lived that intensity, then you had to be a priest or a nun. So uh, the the clergy became the super-Christian and in isolation, and uh, the isolation of the clergy uh, was a very unhealthy thing. But the other side of that equation was the fact that it left the baptized in mediocrity and, and minimalism and immaturity, so that uh, the, the baptized was, was left off the hook to, to live out their calling. And so you had almost like a kind of spiritual surrogacy, mm-hmm. where uh, the priest was doing it for us because, heck, we just can't do that. And, and so 
it was mutually complicit, and that's a term that Pope Francis used when he spoke about clericalism, when he spoke to the leaders of CELAM, uh, that's the, the Latin, Latin American, American Bishops, Bishops Conference during World Youth Day, yes. and he said that he called clericalism a, a, a mutually complicit sinful condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the laity are happy for, with, for, the, for the, all that, that holy stuff to be done by priests and deacons and, and, and nuns, and they're just content with just sitting at Mass once a week for an hour. Yeah. And, and please don't dare go over that hour. Oh, well, of course, yeah. Of course. And whereas in contrast, you know, Pope Francis has been using the term missionary disciple. Yes. Which reminds us that the core mission of the Church is to make disciples. If you go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, yes. this forecast to go, to make disciples, to baptize and teach. Yep. And at the heart of that Great Commission is the task to make disciples. We're called to be disciples, which is to be people, to, to have parishioners who are constantly growing and maturing. And then the term missionary disciple raises the question of the apostolate, because if the Greek word is apostle, to go out is apostle, mm-hmm. the Latin word is missionary. It means the same word. Yes, you, and yes. by this term, he means that the Church is called to make people into disciples, and then to make disciples into apostles, who so in turn go out and get more people to become disciples, to become apostles. And that's the cycle of evangelization. Mm-hmm. So are you suggesting then that we need to do a, a, a shift in, there, there needs to be a shift in thinking, that I need to see myself, as, a, as a, if I'm a lay person, as, as more intentionally, as an intentional Christian? Absolutely. And that's really the, the distinction between uh, being a, a believer and being a disciple. Jesus didn't say, go and make people believe in me, or go and, go and make people go to church. Uh-huh. He said, go and make disciples. And to be a disciple, the word disciple, uh, come in, in the original language, comes from a word which means to, to learn, to learn. And I often, when I speak to other priests, I'll say, you know, the, the parishioners that you have in your parish, the ones who actually have a hunger and a desire to learn, what percentage of your congregation does that describe? And people will be very honest about that. And I know that, uh, for instance, some studies in the States, some people have said as, as little as 6% of our parishioners does that, does that actually describe, maybe 6 to 12%. Yes. Uh, so one of the tasks that we have before us as pastors is, <laughs> if the people in our church are called to go out and make disciples, our problem is, that we haven't made disciples of the majority of the people in the church to begin with. Okay, so, so that's it, really where we need to begin. Yeah. Okay. That's you know what I'm glad that you said that. So so that's not a little a little less daunting. We're not talking about making everybody into little missionaries right off the bat, but can we at least ensure that the people who are in the pews have a thirst, a hunger, they want to learn, and and and, and like w- with programs like Alpha, which I know you you've used many times in your parishes. Um, uh, so so that's a good place to start. Absolutely. Uh, and when we do Alpha, usually our, our courses are about two-thirds church people and one-third unchurched. Yeah. So when we bring them together, we, we break them out into different small groups, because there's nothing worse than an unchurched or a person who doesn't know anything about faith or being in with a bunch of ch- churchy people. Right. Uh, so we try to break them out. But oftentimes in an Alpha experience, people will have a profound experience of, of Christian community for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they will often have an encounter with Jesus and an experience of the Holy Spirit. And, and those these three essential things, sadly to say, can often be missing from the life of many church-going Catholics. They, they come to Mass, they have faith, they believe in God, they believe in Jesus, but it's not an inter- in, intensely personal faith. It hasn't had uh, that personal encounter. And, and 
the Holy Spirit tends to be more of a concept than, than a person of the Godhead whom they have an experience and a relationship with, so that often uh, Christians were often uh, almost functionally binatarian, uh, if in theory we're, we're, we are trinitarian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, good. Thank you, Father James. We're going to leave it there. Thank you for not staying in the sacristy and for going out and risking getting hit by a car. <laughs> hey, Pedro, thanks so much for t- taking the time and the interest to, to have, have this discussion. Absolutely. Very important topic. Father James Mallon is the pastor of St. Benedict Parish in Halifax, and he's the author of Divine Renovation from a Maintenance to a Missional Parish, a book published by Novalis. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Simonetta and Forever, with Ave Sacher from their album Ineffable. That was Simonetta and Forever with Ave Sacher from their album Ineffable. Simonetta has been making Catholic music for a long time now. She has recorded, performed, and appeared on many television programs as a solo artist. She has two music albums, Keep Your Eyes on the Beloved and Faith on My Sleeve. Simonetta also has a rosary album recorded with the late Father Benedict Grishel. Simonetta is also the mother of four beautiful young women who have beautiful voices, and the five have collaborated on a new album, Ineffable, by Simonetta and her daughters forever. That's the title. That's what they call themselves. So to tell us more, I'm now joined by Simonetta. Simonetta, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hello. So Hi. Bef- it's great to be here. Before I, before I ask you about the new album and, and, and your daughters, I, I want to go back. So I always ask guests on this show, what was it like to grow up 
did were you Catholic? Was it was it where was it a musical household? How did you end up doing music? What was it like Absolutely. growing up? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did grow up in a very musical home. Uh, I was Catholic uh, my whole life, and uh, my parents were musicians. My father was an organist uh, for the church, and he was a choir director and also put on musicals, and my mother was an opera singer and was also in my father's choir. And that's how they basically met, and, um, you know, the rest was history. They met and got married and had six children, and Uh um, we were raised Catholic, but... um, and we were raised in a very musical home, and my father, being an organist, um, we would sing for Mass mm-hmm. for him occasionally, and it was always music that was, stuff that he, at the time, what he was playing for church, so it was Latin hymns mm-hmm. and music like that. And um, so then somewhere along the way, uh, you know, I always say um, there was a point, and I think all of our siblings' life, that I think it's the time of, um, you know, Vatican II or be it what, what was going on. Right. Um, our parents, my parents thought that we were you know, having a clear understanding of the faith, and we weren't because at the time, mm-hmm. uh, the schools basically, I think my parents thought, were teaching us the faith. And uh, so there were some holes there, and we didn't grasp everything so uh, I kind of had a reversion my husband and I once we were married and um, that's kind of how the resurgence of music came back into my life right because you were not writing music until later on right right I I didn't even uh, it wasn't anything that I was thinking of doing or sought out to do Uh we didn't fully fall away from the church. I was always Catholic, but I started to um, attend Protestant services, and I guess I didn't have that clear understanding in my heart of right. what was the difference. Uh-huh. And so it wasn't until I went on a Father uh, John Harden retreat, once my husband and I were married, that I came home from that retreat with an absolute, complete, total reversion of my heart and I saw how my faith, I, I did not have the understanding of the Eucharist. That was the number one thing. Right. And I realized who Jesus was in the Blessed Sacrament, and from there um, did the Father Harden St. Ignatian retreat, mm-hmm. and that was when I started writing music. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, so that's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, it's interesting when, you were raised, all the things that you do, they all kind of tie in. You know, God's so beautiful and, and so wonderful and how he uses those things that you don't realize, uh, but they come back later where writing the music and the style of music and right. the kind of thinking was from my youth. Yeah, of uh, course, of course. Now, you, your husband, correct me if I'm wrong, but your husband and you, you, you have a foundation, the St. Philomena Foundation, Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that, and your and that as uh, I suppose I, I guess as a, as a family ministry. Right. Yeah. It's it's grown into that. Uh, once I started writing the music, and I, I was doing a retreat for thirty days and spending daily. Uh, I would go to mass, and then 
several times a week, sit before the Blessed Sacrament and journal, because that's what mm-hmm. uh, the priest in confession had told me to do. Yeah. And so then I started writing music, and then from that, um, I had this music and this uh, priest who became our spiritual director would take the music that I was writing and take it on retreat with him playing it, and people would ask him for the recordings of it. And so I thought, oh, that's, what am I going to, I'm not going to record that, you know, I I didn't even think of anything like that. So we had no money to record uh, an album or anything, so I had just learned about St. Philomena and the St. Philomena cord, and a friend had shared with me the beauty of one who wears the cord, and it was just so wonderful. I immediately thought, I will start a 54-day novena to St. Philomena, asking her to guide us on what we should do. Right. And halfway through, my husband joined in with the novena, and at the end of the novena, Father Hardin's um, obstetrician decided to become uh, a sister, a nun. Really? And she donated to us the finances that we needed to start off the foundation and record this album. And that was why we named it the St. Philomena Foundation, because it was of her, right. because of her, that uh, she answered our prayers. And right. then we we realized that this was a something that... Um, was a gift from God, and you know this is His music, and yeah, whatever He wanted to do, He He just you know it was all His. So she's kind of like your patron saint. Now, um, you have a rosary project that you recorded uh, with Father Benedict Groeschel, who recently passed away. Um, very sad for yeah. a lot of people. Um, tell us about about your relationship with him and and how that project came about. Um, this uh, the spiritual director that we had. Uh, was secretary to Father Hardin and to Father Benedict Rochelle. Mm-hmm. And so we had gone up to visit Father Groeschel with all the children, and while we were there, we were taking pictures for my first album. And that's where those pictures are on the album for Keep Your Eyes on the Beloved, are okay. from Trinity Retreat House. Yeah. And um, so that's when we got to meet Father, and we, we sang for Mass. He said Mass, and then we met his secretary, which became a, a long-lasting uh, relationship. And we then, someone had asked us if we would record a rosary, and then we asked Father Groeschel, would, mm-hmm. um, would he do the rosary with us? And he said, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so... Um, he was, uh, I don't remember exactly the location, but it was out here somewhere, not not too far, about an hour or two away from where I live. He was doing a retreat for couples, and we got there like 8 o'clock in the morning, and um, there was this very, very little chapel that we sat in, and the recorder, recording man, was recording the rosary, and uh, it was just beautiful because he, um, it, it was all from his heart. There was, you know, he just, it just came so freely from him and so beautifully and you know he didn't stop and correct him nothing all the mm-hmm. meditations were so moving and um it was just a wonderful experience i'm so blessed that we had that experience yeah uh, and that relationship that. with him now just lastly because we're almost out of time 
I'm and, and I'm almost tempted to to maybe have one of a couple some of your daughters on the program at some other time because I want to talk to them. That would be great. Um, yeah. But that so they great. call themselves Forever. Your four daughters. They, the, the voices mm-hmm. sound angelic. Um, it must be your home with your daughters must have been a very musical home. So tell me a, a, a little bit about what's so special about this album, Simonetta and Forever. The album is called Ineffable. I guess I think the the beauty of the album is that this was not my idea um, <clears throat> to record the sacred music. My daughters, from raising them with my newfound Catholic faith and desire and being on fire, brought them uh, into the church and tried to give them good exposure to the beauty of our faith so that it wouldn't get lost like it did for me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, brought them, they were in several choirs singing um, at the church, Latin music and sacred music. And from doing that, they just began to have such a love for it. We started singing it all the time at home. And then my daughter is an organist, and we started singing it when we would go sing for Mass every Mm -hmm. Sunday and just singing together constantly. And then someone had asked us, could you please record that? And we thought, oh, you know, we, we hadn't really thought about doing that. And uh, we thought, sure, we were singing all the time, all this beautiful music, and my daughters had met Kevin Allen, and there was some of his music that he composed, he's a modern-day composer of that mm-hmm. kind of music, which is so wonderful, yeah. that um, they wanted to record uh, some of his songs, and so that's kind of how that came about. We just started to um, put together what we were always singing for church on Sunday, and um, picked our favorites and recorded it. And uh, I'm I'm just grateful that they that is their they love that style of music. Yes, that, that they that it, understand it, the beauty of sacred music. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's incredible. And and there are a lot of young people who love the sacred music. And so that's I'm very excited. I think it's a great album to get as we get closer to Christmas. Maybe people can start thinking about their Christmas shopping and, and go get Ineffable yeah. for all your loved ones. It's great, beautiful, beautiful sacred music, traditional, as well as some, some contemporary, if I can call that, sacred music. Simonetta, that's all the time we have. But it's been great okay. to, to meet you. And, and thank you for sharing a little bit about what you do with us today. And uh, like I said, we look forward to having you and maybe your daughters back in the program. That would be great. I'll, thank you for having me. You can find out more Evelyn. about... You can find out more about Simonetta and Forever. Purchase their music or book them for an event at forevermusic.com. That's for the number four, F-O-R, F-O-U-R, evermusic.com. But I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Simonetta with Keep Your Eyes on the Beloved from her album of the same name. Gently keep your eyes 
Listening to Simonetta with Keep Your Eyes on the Beloved from her album of the same name. And that will bring us to the end of our program this week. Remember that if you missed any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where we post links to our artists and our guests. A special thank you to Novalis Publishing for sponsoring this show. Visit Novalis online at novalis.ca and save on your next order. Remember to use the promo code SL2014, SL2014, to receive 20% off all your orders from now until the end of the year, December 31st. And remember to like us at facebook.com slash slradio1. Send us your comments on what you heard on this program. You can also like me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.